Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Morning, Ocean Hills. My name is John Ireland. It's a privilege and an honor. I I get to stand before you and encourage you, hopefully strengthen you, uh, by bringing us into God's Word. About 15 years ago, there was a guy in our church. Name was Kevin Brown. Many of you remember Kevin. Kevin was a golfer extraordinaire. He, He kept his kind of golf clubs and shoes and everything was just so put together in organized clean uh the way it's supposed to be not not quite like i have my golf clubs and golf shoes but kevin many people didn't know was an avid rock climber and kevin one day said to me how would you like to go to yosemite with me uh, and he, he told me that he had climbed the face of El Capitan 27 times. And he climbed the face of Half Dome, not the back of Half Dome, the face of Half Dome, three times. And he said, I want to take you to my playground, and I want to take you up to the spire of the Lost Arrow. Now, I've, if you're familiar with Yosemite, there's Yosemite Falls, and, and kind of this, uh, the land part, cliff, whatever. And then there's this spire that's, that's out here. And he said, I want to take you to the spire, and we're going to connect ropes, and I'm going to have you do a Tyrolean traverse. And uh, it's, I go, well, how far is the valley floor in Yosemite from where I'm going to be on the ropes? He goes, 6,900-plus feet, almost 7,000 feet. So I said, so if I fall, there won't be any question. It's over, right? Yeah, there's no suffering. It's just, you're out. And so uh, I think we have a picture of this experience. Um, so he, he gets me all hooked up and um, says, so you're, you're going to, you know, pull yourself across to the spire and stand on the spire. And man, I got about halfway through and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and, and it got stuck and I started kind of panicking a little bit. And he was just this guide that calmed me, that said, and even before I did it, just trust me, I know what I'm doing. And Sure enough, with patience, with perseverance, I made it. I got to stand on the spire. But then he goes, now you got to come back. He's on the other, you got to come back. I'm like, what? (laughs) Went all the way back. I I, I share this because for me in my life, it's been a metaphor of trust. We all make decisions of trust every day in our lives. You're trusting the seat that you're sitting in, that it's not going to break right now. We all have these different levels of trust. This was a huge difference in my life between trusting, you know, the red light that someone's not going to drive through it to trusting the ropes, 
You know, your life's on the line, trusting the guide. And today, we're going to talk about from mild to wild trust. This series, From Mild to Wild, we're going to talk about a wild trust in God. Not just a kind of mild, you know, my faith is just kind of comfortable. I don't take risks. I don't really have to trust God the way I'm living my life. I don't need God to show up and come through the way I'm. I, 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 can, I just kind of keep in control of my life. And I believe that God is calling us to a whole nother level of living and loving and forgiving and being in community together and trusting him all along the way. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up. We're going to trust the guide, the spiritual guide, Jesus, the life giver, the savior of the world, the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 34. If you have a Bible, we're going to have it on the screen. Maybe just to set it up for you, Paul and Silas are now advancing God's kingdom, God's love, the message of the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a woman who's a fortune teller woman who's, if you read the story, she begins to kind of becoming this annoying presence in Paul and Silas's life, an agitator. And Paul realizes that she's actually possessed by evil and some demons, and he casts them out of her. And her boss gets agitated because she was making money for this guy. And now Paul cast the demon out of her, and now she's no longer a fortune teller, and he ruined this guy's business. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 22. Because of that work of God, here's what happens. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. Anybody had a mob form against you? A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so he put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening, and suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! And the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him 
and with all who lived in his household. Now this isn't even part of my sermon today, but I just think it's interesting when a person puts their faith in Christ, when they receive Christ as Savior and Lord, look at the response. It says, and then he and everyone in his household, right, I lost it. They shared the word of the Lord with them, with all who lived in the household, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them. That's the point. The jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Isn't that a powerful ending? When Christ becomes real in our lives, he turns us into a servant. He turns us into a person who's living now for the sake of others. I just love that. And that's not even the sermon, so you get that for free today. <clears throat> today I want to talk about the first part. I've, I've spoken on this passage before, but never on the first part. This is, a, this is a fresh message for me as I've been thinking about this week and this whole uh, theme of from mild to wild, and really focusing in from mild to wild trust. And so I'm framing this talk, are some reflections on reframing our pain and our suffering. And so my first reflection is we can trust that God is with us in the darkness, even when we don't feel like it, even when we can't see him, even when it seems like he's absent, he's silent, he's ignoring us, he doesn't know what's going on, he's distant, he's not answering our prayers. This story helps remind us that God can be trusted when we can't see him. Verse 25 says, it was midnight. Did you catch that phrase? I think we can interpret that as both literally and figuratively, it was dark. It was midnight in that jail cell, the darkest hour. And I don't know about you, but I would expect that Paul and Silas, after what they had just gone through, would be discouraged. They'd be down in the dumps. They might even be deconstructing their faith. Like, where the heck is God right now? Loving God, all-powerful God, sovereign, in-control God. How in the world do you allow this to happen to me and to us? I mean, let's just walk through the passage. Why would God let them strip us naked and humiliate us? Is God loving? Why would he let that happen? Why would God not protect us from being, it says, severely beaten? Not just beaten, severely beaten. Where's God? Isn't he all-powerful? And the more we prayed, it seems like the worse it got. Does prayer even work? Where was God when they threw us in prison? Why didn't he prevent this evil, this injustice, injustice to happen? Is God sovereign? Is God really in control? Wait, it gets even worse. How come God let us be placed back in the inner dungeon, in the stocks? And the inner dungeon, that's where it's damp. That's where you got the rats. That's where you got the rodents, right? Like, just picture yourself there. And you start beginning to question, like, where are you? 
You're not hearing my prayers. You allowed all this to happen to me. I don't know about you, but that's, that's where my faith tends to go when bad things happen to me. When I suffer, when I have pain, when I live in darkness, when there's a loss, a death that's too early. And I want us to sit in that today. I want us to soak in that. There's not a person in this room that has not in some, uh, at some level suffered, experienced pain and asked the question, why? Why me? And where? Where are you, God? And how? How can you let this happen to me? Or why are you doing this to me? Are you punishing me, God? Right? All of us, if you're alive, if you got a heartbeat, you have moments where you're wondering, is God listening? Does God care? Is he all-powerful? Does he really love me? So let me take us to... Deuteronomy 31.6, it's a promise. And I, I know for me, it, it, it reminds me, and I would say to all of us friends, that we don't have to wonder if God cares, if he's present with us, that if we call on the name of Jesus, this promise is for us. Be strong and courageous. We have to do that when we face pain and suffering. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. Why would he say that? Because our tendency is to be afraid and terrified. He's saying you don't have to be. Why? For the Lord your God goes with you. He is with you. You can't see him, but he's with you. He's right alongside you by the Holy Spirit. He's in you. And then it goes on to say, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never Say it out loud. Leave you nor forsake you. Would you agree that it was unfair that Paul and Silas were in prison suffering? Would you agree that it was unfair that they got beaten severely with wooden rods? Would you agree that it was unfair that they were thrown in prison and not just in prison, but the worst part in the inner dungeon with the rodents locked up? That just seems not fair, unjust. They were good people. And I just, uh, you know, I, I wrote here in my notes that it's not just them experiencing hurt and heartache. Read the biblical story. Think about Abraham. Think about his story. Think about Elijah. Think about Joseph. He also was thrown in prison. Think about Job and the whole Job story. And then think about Jesus. Talk about unjust suffering. The biblical story does not exempt people of faith from pain and suffering. But the scriptures do tell us the truth that God is present. He's with us to provide strength and comfort. Psalm 23, verse 4, I love this, underline this, highlight it in your Bible. It says this, and, it, and this is in the contemporary English version. I may walk through valleys as dark as death, but I won't be afraid. You are with me. That's his prayer. God, he's acknowledging, he's reminding himself, even though I walk through the darkest valleys, God's with me. And then I love Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I got to believe there's, there are people in this room this morning that are crushed in spirit. 
that your dreams have been crushed, that there's a relationship that has been crushed, that you're brokenhearted over your children, over the loss of a dream of parents, aging parents, maybe somebody died, maybe a child died. But across this room, I just know that this, th these words that the scriptures describe, brokenhearted, crushed in spirit, that's you, and that's me. And God is with us, that's the promise. Some of you are wondering, what, what, what's this all about? Well, let's, let's jump into it. This is just an idea I, I uh, remembered. I thought, well, I'm going to see if this works. Now let me try and remember. How did I, how, how did I, what's going on here? Okay, here it is. Here it is, here it is, here it is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I want you to think about this cup is, uh, this cup has some water in it. I just proved, proved that to you. I want you to think about this as your life, and I want you to think about the water as the love of God that fills your life. The Bible says that God's love is in us, and that when, that, that when we are um, becoming the best version of ourselves, we're filled with love. You know, it's hard to become the best version of yourself if you're not loved, if you live unloved. And so the Bible talks about God is a loving God, that he loves us, and his love fills us. Now, I want you to imagine life, real life, hits you, stabs you, collides with you, and so you just kind of puncture a hole in here. And this is suffering, this is death, this is, let's see if it works, ah, there we go. And what happens? Your life starts leaking, Maybe another hit. Somebody died too early, and it's like, oh, my, and this is your life. The love of God, the love in your life leaks out because of the hits that you take and that I take. And over time, if you just kind of live, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to becoming empty. You're vulnerable to becoming a person that's starving for love. And so what I love about Scripture and what I love about trust is there's another picture that God gives us, and it's, it's this picture. Here's another cup of water, just to prove to you. There it is. Now, when we, when we surround ourselves with God as the shield, you know, Scripture says that God is a shield around us, and so life hits us. Just think about it. You, get, you, you go through a hard time, you're suffering heartache, you, you get betrayed, you, you, have, you have the church abuse you or bully you or kick you out. Good. You thought, wow, I trusted those people, and you're like in disbelief. All of these hits that you're taking, they're actually, they're not penetrating because you are surrounded because you're trusting God. When we trust God, he becomes a shield around us. And in fact, I don't have it on the screen, but I want to read for you. I just love this a couple of verses I wrote. Psalm 3, 3, but you, God, shield me on all sides. Psalm 3, 3, you want to write that down. That's a good one. And also Psalm 28, verse 7. Listen to this. The Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart trusts in him, whoops, and he helps me. 
And I want you just to look at that. As you trust God, he protects you. He's a shield around you as you experience pain and suffering and darkness and heartache. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear this loud and clear. You are not exempt from pain and suffering and disappointment and heartache. Some people teach, well, you just received Jesus into your life, and it's happily ever after. That is, and I can't say it in church, but it's BS. It's just, you, you, you can fill that out. It's just, it's bad theology. But God is with us providing protection, providing his love, providing comfort and encouragement around us. All right, I got to keep moving. Here's a second reflection, just a quick one. Verse 25, it says that Paul and Silas, after they had experienced all of this injustice and darkness and heartache, it says they're what? They're praying and they're singing to God at midnight in jail. Like, are they living in denial? Do, do you guys understand what just happened to you? How are, how are you singing and praying to God? But they are. They are. Because the grace of God shines brightest. The grace of God shines brightest in our darkness when we trust him when we let him refine us in our darkness, when we let him draw near to us in our darkness. There's a little verse in the book of James that says, come close to God and he will come close to you or draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In these seasons, moments of darkness and suffering and pain, draw near to God through singing, through praying, I love this quote by Craig Chrishell. He's a covenant pastor in Oklahoma, but it, he's the pastor of now, I think it's the largest church in America, uh, Life Church. And Craig said this, reframing your perspective on life changes everything. Reframing. What does that mean? It means look at it from a different angle, a different perspective. Reframing your perspective on your suffering, on your loss, on your hardship, your heartache, your adversity. Reframing that. Reframing your perspective on life changes everything. Rick Warren said this. He's a pastor down, well, he's just retired down in Orange County at Saddleback. He said, your most profound and intimate experiences of worship will likely be in your darkest days. When your heart is broken, when you feel abandoned, when you are out of options, when the pain is great and you turn to God alone. That's why when you go through, look at the look at the look at the the, the adjectives that he talks about here in this in, in in this quote: darkest days, you know, heartbroken, feel abandoned, out of options, pain is great. Turn to God alone, and you know, I'll just this is a pastoral moment right now. Some of you, when you're in pain, when you're out of options, you stay away from church. You're afraid of what, I, I can't see it. I don't want anybody to know. This is where we come. 
and turn to God and we worship. Isn't that what it said? He says, your most profound and intimate experiences of worship will likely be in your dark, when your life is surrounded by darkness, this is what, I, I come here, not because I get paid and I'm the pastor, this is where I wanna be. Those songs we sang this morning, I told Casey, those are God breathed. It's like she just knew what I was speaking, well, she did know what I was speaking on. <laughs> but like she, but, but there was like, I, I love how the Spirit of God guides her to choose the music we sing because it, it, it creates this theme that, that God is working in this place through the teaching, through the music, through our worship of him together. Don't stay away from church when you're out of options, when you're in deep pain. This is where we come because we can pretend, but... You have no idea right now, sitting right here, what the person sitting next to you is going through. You really don't know, the person right in front of you or behind you, what they're facing this morning. And I don't know either, but God knows. And when we come together and we sing together and we pray together, God moves, God shows up, God unleashes his compassion and comfort and strength into our lives and into our community. Frederick Douglass, one more quote. He was the American abolitionist in the 1800s. He said this about the spirituals, the songs. Every tone, every tone was a testimony against slavery and a prayer to God for deliverance from chains. Listen to this next line. Slaves sing most when they are most unhappy. Think about that, that's a choice. I'm gonna worship, I'm gonna turn to God when I'm most unhappy. And then it goes on to say, the songs of the slave represent the sorrows of the heart and he is relieved by them only as an aching heart is relieved by its tears. And you know, if you're unfamiliar, much of the Psalms in the Old Testament, they're honest, raw laments where the writer, the psalmist, is pouring out his heartfelt, authentic feelings, sometimes crying out against God, where are you, God? But it's honest, it's real, and God's big enough, by the way, for your doubts for your rage against him, for your like, where are you, why are you? The, the Bible's filled with that. Read the Bible, it brings comfort to know I'm not the only one. But don't miss in verse 25, the middle word, Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. You, get, you know, if you emphasize the middle word, Paul and Silas. When you're reading the Bible, I, I, it's like being a detective, you know? It's like cracking the code. It's like, what does that tell us? That tells me, think if Paul was in prison by himself. It's hard to sing by myself. It's hard to suffer by myself. It's hard to go through seasons of darkness and disappointment and loss by myself. 
Bible says it was Paul and Silas singing and praying. What's the point? Don't suffer alone. Find your people. Let others into your pain. Let others into your story. Let others into your disappointment, your setbacks. Because God uses friendship and family and church to strengthen us and comfort us. And so I just want to encourage you, share your journey, let others in. Don't be so prideful and beautiful and, oh man, it's all good. No, it's not. You're dying in a pile behind that pretty face. Let others in to say, yeah, it's not as good as it looks. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I got to jump to the last reflection here. It's simply this three. We are being watched. That sounds kind of like a threat, but it's not. We are being watched as we go through pain and suffering. Look at verse Acts 16, verse 25. It says at the tail end, the other prisoners were listening. Isn't that interesting? They're listening in. They're paying attention. They're watching Paul inside. Okay, these Christians, let's see how they uh, respond now. Now let's see how after they just suffered, were beat up, were stripped and humiliated, were tortured. Now they're in the inner. Now let's see how they respond and act. Let's see how joyful they are now. It's almost like the world out there is looking at you and me if you're a follower of Jesus and saying, okay, let's see how she responds now that she didn't get that promotion at work. Your colleagues are watching you. Well, let's see the choices that this family makes now that they have kids. Easy to come to church when they you know, didn't have kids. Now they got little kids. Let's see now where their faith is. Now they got a bunch of little kids running around. Are they coming to church? Is that a priority? Is that important or not? What about that single guy? Let's see how he lives on the weekends now. And just, you can fill in the blank, but the people around you are watching how you treat others or mistreat others, how you live your life, your priorities, whether you're singing as you suffer or you're blaming and pointing fingers and making excuses if you're a leader, rather than owning it, you're always blaming others. People are watching us. And they were watching Paul and Silas. So let me close by just simply saying this. Many of you know that Tim Keller passed away, I think it was on Friday of this week, and Tim Keller was a scholar, a philosopher, a pastor, an, a, a writer. You know, many of you uh, have re read many of his books. I quote him often. Uh, I'm going to quote him as we close here. But I want you to think about Tim Keller this way. I love, uh, I love this quote. Tim Keller taught most of us, or many of us, how to live over the past 35 years through his writing and teachings and sermons. He taught us how to live, but in the last two years, he's taught us how to die. He got cancer a couple of years ago, and, and I, I remember hearing him on a podcast say, this is where it gets real. I've been teaching about pain and suffering. I wrote books about it, and now it's real. And just an inspiring man who everything that you read about him in these in the, over the last few days, everybody who knew him well 
said he was the real deal. He was the real deal. He walked the talk with this cancer. And I just want to read for you. I, I, I saw this post. I thought it was good. It was, this was some of his last words. He said, I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time that God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus, and I can't wait to see Jesus send me home. And they discharged him from the hospital on Thursday night to go home for hospice care. And Friday morning, he, they, they, uh, they had the kids, his, his grown children, leave the room, but his wife gave him a kiss on the forehead. And then he took his last breath. And I just love that thought that, you know what, even hanging on to his last breath, he trusted, he had a wild trust in Jesus. And so let me close this message with a quote from Tim Keller. He says this, God himself says in Isaiah 43 that he will be with us, walking beside us in the fire, knowing him personally, I'll just pause, not abstractly, not knowing God personally while in our affliction is the key to becoming stronger rather than weaker in it. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. I'm gonna have you stand up. I'm gonna have the band come up. And... We've done this before, but I just so touched. You know, when I was on sabbatical, uh, I visited a church down in L.A., Irwin McManus's church, Mosaic in Hollywood, and in their service, they, they did this, and it just touched me. So I'm, it's not an original idea with me, but um, if, if, where, wherever you are, if you would put your hand on the shoulder of the person on either side of you, just put your hand on that shoulder. And, and, and let me just remind us, you have no idea right now you have no idea what that person is going through. And you don't know the pain or the bitterness or the darkness or the heartache or the fear or the anxiety or the stress or the depression. I mean, the list goes on. You have no idea and I don't either. But quietly with as much faith as you can muster, just quietly in your heart, not out loud, would you just pray a blessing? Would you pray for God's closeness to cover over their heart and mind? the person on your left, the person on your right, maybe it's the person in front of you or behind you, but I'm just gonna give us a moment of silence to pray quietly for those that we're, we have put our hands on, that God would unleash his power and love and mercy, compassion, gentleness. Pray for a spirit of trust over every heart in this room, God. I pray that we'd walk out of here with a wild trust, that we can trust you even when life is disappointing and hard and dark, even in the midst of the dark valley, the suffering, the injustice, oh God, hear the cries of our heart and unleash your compassion on every one of us here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for not abandoning us, for not giving up on us, no matter where we've been or what we've done, God, you 
are here for us to heal us, to help us, to strengthen us, and to make us more like you, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing. I'm gonna have the prayer team come up. Uh, on a morning like today, th there may be some of you that just, you, you, got, you got some stuff that you want us to pray over. So don't, don't go that way. Come up front and let us pray a blessing over you. Let us pray for you in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. Let's sing together.